Thank you, Pastor Dan. Last week we finished up this little book of Jude. We said we're going to be in these two last letters, the last letter of the New Testament, which was Jude, and now the last letter of Paul, of his 13 letters here. We've got this little book of Philemon, and this book of Philemon is a very interesting short letter. It's the kind of letter that you read it at first, and you're like, all right, I get it. It seems pretty straightforward, not overly complicated. Let's move on. Why are we spending four weeks on this letter? Well, I would say this letter offers us a kingdom operating system. This letter is putting before us what is the new operating system we are to have in the kingdom. Why do we need a kingdom operating system? Well, we turn on the news and we realize there's another operating system at work in this world, and we hear a lot about it right now, don't we? An operating system of power, of authority, of rule, of law jockeying for power, who's ruling, who's in charge, who has control of what political unit at work. You know this operating system. Abide by the rules, do this. You get paid, do this. You don't get fired, do this. And this is how it works. Two plus two equals four. And yet here, there's another operating system at work. And in this book, as we give ourselves to study of it, we're going to see subtlety. We're going to see nuance. So I invite you to spend the next month thinking about this little book of Philemon that you may have ignored, you may have uh, memorized, that I don't know where you are on the spectrum. But most people haven't thought a lot about the book of Philemon. And we trust, as elders, in each series, that as we seek to preach the whole counsel of God, that God will use each book, each series, as we uh, seek to go across the Scriptures to speak to your hearts. I was encouraged by a brother who was saying, it felt, feels like God has arranged each sermon series for us this year, and so we trust that God would uh, have done that in this book and that He has good things for us to see and to hear here. Brother Andrew McCorris, where are you? I don't Way up in the balcony. Thank you for leading us so well in worship, you and your team, Annalise, John, Jubilee, so faithfully, week by week, leading us. I told Andrew that uh, he didn't know this, but he chose my latest favorite song today. I uh, love that song, Is He Worthy? What a great call and response, uh, rhythm and, and reality to consider, because in this world, the thing we most need is one who is worthy to uh, rise above this world, and it, that is King Jesus. All right. Well, how are we going to attack this letter? Well, this morning, we're going to look at the whole thing, but we're going to do a bit of a flyover. We're going to try to get the big picture in our head. We're going to try to get where it, where it, how it all fits together, and then we're going to break it down here in the next couple of weeks and where, where it all goes. So first, we want to start this morning with the main characters. We want to get on our main. Who are the main characters? So the main characters are, are three. We've got Paul, we've got Philemon, and we've got Onesimus, all right? And then he introduces us to some supporting characters. But you, you, you heard as Pastor Dan read this that Philemon is who the book is written to. Paul is who is writing the book. And you may have caught this surprising note here that Philemon is a slave owner. I think it seems a little odd. 
especially in our current climate, thinking about history, that Paul would be writing to this one. And it would appear that Onesimus is a slave, perhaps a runaway slave. We don't know that for sure, but it would appear that he is a runaway slave. And we think, hmm, interesting. What does this book teach us about slavery? We're going to get into that. We're going to think about that. There is something very powerful, very subtle here that this book does related to slavery. But we have Paul, the author. We have Philemon, who has written to, and then we have Onesimus, who the book is written about. But then we have some supporting characters. And so let's get the supporting characters first. And if you don't have your Bible in front of you, please open your Bible and see it, because we're going to just be looking at the text, trying to pull things out, asking questions of the text to see what is here. And so the book begins with Paul writing to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and two other people. Who are the two other people? To Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So Philemon, we see right there in verse 2, hosts a church in his home, believed to be in the city of Colossae. And there are these two other people, Aphia and Archippus. We don't know exactly who they are, but it might make sense that Aphia is Philemon's wife, potentially his sister, but likely his wife is what is believed. She is our sister, Paul says part of the church. And then Archippus, we don't know who he is exactly. Paul calls him our fellow soldier. This might be a, a young son growing up uh, in this church, where the, where the, uh, in this home where the church is gathering. We don't know. Aphia, Archippus, just mentioned briefly. Now go all the way down to the bottom. Paul is writing from prison. So he's writing to Philemon, the house church, with these two other folks, Aphia and Archippus. And Paul, a prisoner. Remember, Paul is in Rome. He is in chains. He's not in a jail. He's kind of under house arrest. And so he's in prison. Uh, imprisoned. He can't go wherever he wants, but he is able to do some ministry. And there in Rome, there are some uh, fellow uh, ministry team members with him, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do. Now he lists four more workers, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Now, something there we need to see. When we think about this operating system, when we think about a new way of living, a new way of thinking, See, this has hit me more and more because I was talking with Jens and Katie, and they have four little children. And when you have four little children, the way you parent is very different than when you have five teenagers. See, when you have little children, you work in the realm of don't do that. Mama said, Daddy said, rules. Don't touch this. Do do this. It's time to go to bed. If you don't, okay, consequence, here we go. Right? So some of you are entering into that phase. Some of you are very much in that phase. But as life goes, as seasons go, you have these new phases. You get into the realm of being parents of teenagers and you suddenly realize, I need a new way of operating. This isn't working anymore. I need to do this differently. How do I do this? Which is similar 
to people that get involved in a serious relationship or get, get buried. They're suddenly coming to me saying, what's going on? How, how do I do? I'm not prepared for this. I don't understand how to do this, which is similar to life in the church. When people say, I've been hurt in the church, to which we say, well, I'm sorry. And when you do relationships with other sinners, that happens. We don't aim for it to happen, but it will happen. If you run from the church and say, I don't want to be part of the church because I've been hurt in the church, you're running from any real relationship. But the way of rules and do's and don'ts and being prepared for every situation, that doesn't work as life goes on and we need this new kingdom operating system. And so we think about these characters in the book and we say, think about Paul. Think about his operating system. Walking in the way of righteousness. Keeping the law. Doing things the right way. Persecuting the enemies. Putting them to death. What happened to Paul? Paul was broken. He was crushed. He was completely transformed as he met with Jesus. And he learned a new operating system that is on full display here. He put off the way of religion, the way of law, and he put on the way of Christ. Look at verse 24 and see an example of this. Because the process in our lives is not all at once. It wasn't for Paul just one day he was this, the next day was this. He was on a journey. He was figuring this out. Look in verse 24 when it says, List these four people. Who's the first one that he mentions? Mark. John Mark. Remember anything about this guy, John Mark? In the book of Acts, John Mark goes with Barnabas and Paul on their missionary journey. And if you remember anything about their missionary journey, especially their first missionary journey, it was tough sledding. They would go from town to town, and as they go, they would preach God was blessing them, allowing them to perform miracles. And as they were doing that, there was wild response town to town as they did this. The people went, and, and, and in some towns they were worshiping them as gods. They're bowing down, and then Paul saying, no, no, we're just men, and, and, and preaching the gospel and saying, no, trust Christ, don't, don't worship us. And then the, the, the response would swing, and suddenly there was persecution, and in multiple places Paul was attacked in one city, Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. And in the middle of that, young John Mark says, this is too much, I'm out. And he bought a Greyhound bus ticket and he headed for home. And then Paul and Barnabas, partners, teammates, brothers in the faith, had a very sharp disagreement. You remember this? And the argument was what do we do with the quitter? What do we do with John Mark? And Barnabas said, Paul, he'll come around. He'll be all right. We know he, he, didn't, he didn't measure up now. We know he didn't stick to it now, but give him a chance. He's going to come back. Paul says, that old operating system at work, no, no. He's dead to me. He left us. He's a quitter. He's done. We're done. Paul and Barnabas have this discussion. It gets very sharp. What happens? It's so sharp 
that this team, this super team, splits. They divide, which happens in the life of believers, right? Now, the question is, who, whose side is history on? What's the end of the story with Paul and Barnabas? Who was right? We read in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, alluded to here, and Paul says, send John Mark, for he is very dear to me. Barnabas, son of encouragement, giving grace to this young man, saw him restored and brought back to be part of the ministry team. And even here, there he is ministering. But there's also a warning in verse 24, if you notice it. Mark, Aristarchus, Luke, who's the other name? Demas. You remember Demas? He's part of the ministry team, loves Jesus, following hard after him. And then in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, not long after this letter, Paul says with tears, Demas in love with this present world, reverting back to the old operating system, finding joy apart from Jesus, going his own way, has left us. And Demas wasn't a happy ending as John Mark was. But these are some of the characters here as Paul writes from prison to this brother Philemon. So now look and see something of what these main characters are doing. We've got the beginning greeting. We've got the final greetings. And now Paul is going to write to Philemon and he's going to ask him to do something ridiculously hard. He is going to ask him to, to do something very unusual. This is a big request. And we're going to see Paul kind of building up in this new operating system. This is not the way normally things work. In the old operating system, Paul could have used his authority and sent a brief, very terse, ten-word word of command. Again, this is what as a parent I'm, I've been prone to do with, with teenagers. Just here is what it is. Just say it. Church leaders, sometimes we just want to give a word of command to say, here's what it is. But that's not what Paul does. And this is where the subtlety comes. This is where the nuance comes. This is where we've got to climb in and say, what's going on here? What is Paul doing as he writes? And so he begins writing to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. To Philemon, how does he address him? He's going to ask him to do something hard, but he begins by saying, Philemon, you are our loved, our beloved fellow worker. Grace to you, God's unmerited favor to you, peace from God. In the midst of the trials, in the midst of the troubles, I ask God to give peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. This is not how we normally communicate, right? This is not how we normally begin, especially a hard conversation. But we're learning the kingdom operating system here from Paul. What does he say in verse 4? I thank my God always when I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers because I hear of your love 
and of the faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived, Philemon, much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. See, Barnabas is rubbed off on Paul. Paul has learned the operating system of Jesus, and there is a lot of grace here, isn't there? There's a lot of encouragement here. There's a lot of kindness here. And now, verse 8 gets into the body of the letter, and now he turns and begins the reason for which he has written. Accordingly, Philemon, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. What's the contrast here in verse 8 and 9? I could command you, but for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I am speaking to your heart. I am speaking to your conscience. See, when you think, come to the realm of parenting, you, you suddenly realize, I can't make enough rules. I, I, I can't make a long enough list to help my child discern everything they're going to have to figure out in life. And so it is in the church as we speak to one another. We realize it, it, lists and law, it, it won't suffice. We need something different. We need a new way of living. We need a new operating system. And so Paul here models this kingdom operating system when he says, I could command you. I have the authority as an apostle to command you. But I prefer for love's sake, because I love you, to appeal to you. It's a much longer letter, much harder work that he's doing here. And this is what we've got to try to get our minds and hearts around. Why is he doing all this work? Why all these words? This, friends, is a letter of love. A letter for us to learn from. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now just pause here and say that as I've gone through this letter, it has struck me multiple times that it feels like what Paul's doing here is really being a manipulator. Feels like what Paul's really doing is playing a game. And that's one of the questions we've got to ask over this month is, is Paul really just playing a game here? Is he really just manipulating Philemon to get the end result? My short answer would be, I don't think so. I think this is really just modeling a kingdom operating system. But I want you to wrestle with that question and say, what is it that's going on here? I, Paul, an old man, 
And now, he repeats a second time, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, write to you. And he's writing, why, verse 10, to appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, try to get your head around the providence of God in this story. Onesimus, as we're going to hear, was a slave in the household of Philemon. In another city, Onesimus appears to have fled, and of all the places in the world he could go, he ends up where? He ends up in jail as a fellow prisoner with his owner's dear friend or his master's dear friend, the Apostle Paul. Think about the random coincidence of this happening. That Onesimus flees and somehow he becomes a fellow prisoner or he becomes a, in relationship with Paul. See this in verse 9, I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Onesimus has come to faith in Jesus through Paul in prison. This is remarkable. This is remarkable. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. He's come to faith. There has become a bond of strong affection in this relationship such that Paul speaks of Onesimus and he says that I am his father. I am his spiritual father. And you think about the Apostle Paul. Single man, never had his own family, and yet the relationships God gave him, amazing. And here is this one, like so many others, who he refers to as a son in the fame, this one Onesimus. He continues, I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. He's very helpful to me. Would have been really nice to have him here. But hear this operating system unfold, verse 14, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent. Now we're going to hear the key word in the whole book coming up right here. I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by, here's the key word, compulsion, compulsion, but of your own accord. What happens when we are under compulsion to do something? What happens at work when your boss says, everybody needs to give $5 to this charity? Is everybody's heart excited about giving that money? No. No. You just, you just have to do it, right? 
We're, we're, okay, we're given a, a task, we're given a law, we're given a mandate, everybody's got to give $5, give $5, does nothing for your heart. Paul says, I know I, I could have compelled you, commanded you to do something, but it wouldn't have moved your heart. Your heart would have remained fixed. So this is the parenting journey. And this is the discipling journey. At, at first, we, we just give rules, just give to-dos. Do this, do that, do that. But it's compulsion. Now, at first, you have to start with that, right? But you soon realize this doesn't move the heart. And this is what Paul has realized. This doesn't move the heart. This word compulsion is found three times in the New Testament. Paul, speaking of the, the Corinthians, says... Thank you so much for your giving. Thank you for giving out of your poverty. You have given above and beyond. I'm so thankful for that. For God loves a cheerful giver, not one who gives grudgingly or under compulsion. Right? We give to God, we know, oh God, I, I really don't want to, but here you go. Right? He says, no, that, that's not the kind of giving. God that didn't do good for anybody. Second time, Peter uses it in 1 Peter when he says, Elders are to serve willingly, not under compulsion. Oh, man. These people, they won't listen to anything. Why do I have to do this? This is miserable. Right? No one wants an elder like that, right? Not willingly. Willingly, but not under compulsion. And so, Paul here is addressing Philemon. And he's saying, what I want from you is not mainly your obedience not, not something that's under compulsion, but that your goodness would be of your own accord. Verse 15. Philemon, ponder with me for a moment the ways of God. For this perhaps is why Onesimus was parted from you for a while. That you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave or no longer as a bondservant, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. That verse, friends, is loaded, loaded with implications, loaded with subtlety, loaded with what just happened there. What is he doing? It seems fairly straightforward when you first read it. But Paul is reorienting everything in this verse. What was the relationship that Philemon had with Onesimus? Master servant, master, slave, right? Paul says, no, 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 no. We're resetting categories. We're resetting how we think. I am sending him back to you no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, not only to me, but to you. Verse 17, so if you consider me 
Philemon, your partner. Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So commentators and scholars would argue it seems like in verse 18 there was something beyond just Onesimus' running that has happened. He potentially took something, potentially stole something from Philemon. We don't know that for sure. We're just trying to put the pieces together here from this account. But if he has wronged you at all or owes anything to you, charge that to my account. Two things we've got to see here. First, what is Paul doing with Onesimus? He's sending him back with a letter, right? So imagine how this conversation goes with Paul and Onesimus. Hey, Onesimus, listen, I've written a letter, and I'd love your help because I am a prisoner for the Lord and an old man chained up here. I need you to deliver it. Could you do that for me? Sure, Paul. I'd, I'd love to deliver the letter. Is it across town? Is this, a, is this like a food delivery order? What, what is it that you have in mind? Well, it's going to be a little bit of a journey. Okay, well, I, I like traveling. That's fine. I'll, I'll do that. Where exactly am I going? Can you imagine what this, this, this moment? Uh, you see, the thing is, Anismus, um, I think what would be best is, uh, what I'd like you to do is, uh, what did he say? I want you to take this letter and go back to Philemon. What is Onesimus feeling at that moment? Are you insane? I'll go anywhere except there. Like, you are, no, no, no. Not me. Get Aristarchus to do it. Why would I do it? And not only is Paul communicating with this kind of complexity with Philemon. Clearly, he is doing it with Onesimus as well. So think about this. Onesimus comes as, as a runaway. He comes of the lowest sh- social status. He comes with no money. He comes fleeing. He comes on the run. He is no one. And Paul, the apostle, invests his life in this young man. He invests his life. And he speaks to him of the way of Jesus. And he disciples him in the way of Jesus. So much so that Onesimus is willing to take a powerful step of obedience, of faith, and go back and go back, come back to Onesimus here in a moment. But consider now verse 17, that paragraph. Philemon, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. 
to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. What? Philemon likely came to faith under Paul's ministry. Philemon would look to Paul as a spiritual father. And now he is saying to him, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you, charge it to my account. We say, is, is, is Paul embarking on manipulation here? After all, who takes Who takes concern of a runaway slave? Who offers to pay another person's debt? Who pledges themselves for a guilty one? Who promises to make full payment for another? Is this the way of manipulation? No. This is the way of Christ. For did he not do exactly what Paul is offering here? I will take the wrong. I will bear the punishment of the slave. I will pay what I did not owe, charge it all to my account. Paul is operating with this new way of thinking. And friend, if you are here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your master, if this is foreign to you, what I'm talking about, consider that Christ came for the weak and Christ came for the powerful. He came for those who had nothing and those who have something. He comes for those who recognize that they have no claim to be forgiven by God in and of themselves but are looking to a righteous, perfect substitute who is Christ. And Christ comes to be our rescuer, and Christ comes to be our king. And he invites you to know him in this way. And so Paul is writing with the heart of Christ and says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Two more verses to close the body of the letter. Philemon, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. How does he know Philemon's going to do this? He doesn't, right? He doesn't totally know. He has not commanded. He is not putting him under compulsion. He is strongly encouraging him. And you say, what what is this? I don't know what what this is. Who does this? Friends, this is the way of Jesus who comes not to make us those who keep his laws, but comes to win our hearts who wants our whole affection, our whole worship, our whole obedience from the heart, not under compulsion. And Paul says lastly, verse 22, at the same time, 
I know you're going to obey, but prepare a guest room for me. I want to stop by. I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will graciously be given to you. Another word about Onesimus. Onesimus' name means useless. You go back, and when Paul is describing him, verse 11, formerly useless was useless to you. But now I am sending him back as one who is very useful to me. And church history tells us that this nobody, this no account, this runaway became the bishop of the church of Ephesus. What does this way of the kingdom do? It changes. It redeems. It restores. It it turns on its head. It takes the lowest and most insignificant and uses them in such powerful ways. And it calls us to operate, not calling one another to live out of compulsion, but looking to Jesus, considering his love for us and calling one another to live in light of that reality. Living all of life in the knowledge that Jesus is worthy of our lives, of our obedience, and of our love. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He closes and we close. Amen. Father, we say thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us. Thank you for how it instructs us. As we contemplate this book, as we contemplate this new way of living and operating, pray as we gather at lunch today, as we discuss, as we think, uh, just pray that you would bring us your spirit and give us wisdom of this new way of thinking, this way of Christ that Paul is modeling for us. Would we put off the old man and put on the new? Help us grow in living in this new kingdom operating system, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.